1: Major news, White Wine Question
0: Time is going live. We're doing three shows in London's West End in the autumn. I can't believe it. And we've got some incredible guests lined up for you. So on Saturday, the 18th of September at the Leicester Square Theatre, we will be doing a show with Craig Revel Horwood. Yeah. Just as you can smell the sequence of Strictly as it comes back to our screen. Then on the 9th of October, I can't believe they've all agreed to do this, but we're reuniting the cast of Grange Hills. So I've got Todd Carty, Tucker, Lee McDonald, Zamo, and Alison Valentine, who played Faye, and there'll be more to be announced. And then finally, on Saturday, the 13th of November, the cast of done Breeding*, so Tracy ann Oberman, Julie Graham, Tamsin Athwaite, Denise Welsh, Julie Newman, will all be joining us to do a live show. Tickets are on sale now, available from the Live Nation website, Ticketmaster, or wherever you get your tickets. Come and see us. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is one of the greatest choreographers ever to have come out of the UK, a trailblazer who scorched her own path from a tough working-class background in Manchester to notoriety on the Kenny Everett show with her female groundbreaking dance troupe, Hot Gossip in 1974, and then later the West End, Broadway, and their equivalents the world over with her choreography on shows like Starlight Express, Grease, We Will Rock You, and The Sound of Music, to name but a few. She then went on to choreograph iconic pop videos for some of the biggest acts in the world. Think Duran Duran's Wild Boys, Queens, It's a Kind of Magic, Private Dancer, Tina Turner, I'm Still Standing, Elton John, their list goes on and on she even directed the lord of the dance as well as teaching the likes of tom cruise to move then of course there was strictly where she resided on the judging panel from its conception in 2005 until 2009 when if i say so myself because i know she won't she was treated rather ungallantly and with nothing like the regard she deserved after being replaced with alicia dixon and yet when you sit back and look at a cv that's as exhausting as it is impressive strictly really should be little more than a footnote for her because her contribution to dance and theater is so enormous that this year the queen acknowledged it and she is about to become a dame now at 78 years old she is still working at the same rate with the same energy she always has a workaholic with perfectionist tendencies and a notebook or two always at hand for her copious note-taking bringing her latest show, Grease, to UK audiences. Alongside that, she's also working on a new Tom Jones musical, The Share Show, and Hair for the London Palladium. As well as judging Strictly, she was also the creative director of its Juggernaut Arena tour, which I hosted, and for years, We shared a dressing room month in, month out, and she listened, she talked. She was so unwaveringly kind as I worked through pregnancy, motherhood, and then the heartache of becoming a single parent. Her counsel and shared wisdom helped me more than she could ever possibly know. So let's dial her up. It's Dame Arlene Phillips.
1: Welcome! Thank you very much, and what a beautiful introduction. I was quite emotional remembering our times together.
0: Oh, Arlene, I do remember them so fondly, and you were so... Do you know what? I think when I was going going into motherhood, you could probably see, even when I was pregnant, you know, you could see where the book might end in terms of my story as a parent. Let's just park it there. (laughs) And you'd been there, and you were... I I guess, you know, for me, you've got to see it to be it, and I saw you, an incredible working mum, who had done it at a time when nobody else did. You know, when you had Alana, you must have been as rare as hens teeth as an unmarried working mother.
1: It was it's really interesting watching you go through that whole pregnancy and then motherhood your relationship you were you were actually going through a lot of stuff in the time that we spent together mm. i realize that now and of course in my own time i'd gone through a lot of stuff i mean we talk about you know alana well her birth happened after um i had signed a contract to make a big hollywood movie and thought i i can't do this i i I'm, I'm pregnant and i wanted a baby more than anything in the mm. world i wanted to choreograph a hollywood movie and a Amer- an, an american friend of mine said in America, a woman can have it all. If you're pregnant, you've signed a contract. They can't stop you taking that job. You just have to find a way to work it out. So she said, call the producer, the producer, the legendary Alan Carr, who also produced Grease. Uh-huh. Um, I called him up at home and said, um, are there any breaks in the shooting schedule because... I need a week, 10 days off. And he said, well, there's a hiatus when we move locations. We're going to film in New York. We rehearsed in LA, film in New York. Then we're going to have a break. And then we're going to go back to LA to do the majority of the film. And I said, can I have that time off on the break? So he said, sure, that's your time. Do what you want. And I said, what's the date? The date of... The hiatus was the the week after um, my due date for the baby. The baby was born a little early, born in the hiatus. And I was given with my baby a Winnebago, a nanny, a guru to wow. keep me gentle and calm through this. A kind of a wheelchair, if I needed it. I was given everything, so my life was spent making a film with a baby Staps attached you. to me. <laughs> and um, and I realise when you've been through that, and as a single mother, and I continue as a single mother, you kind of feel that when when they people say, "Can women have it all?" Yes. Of course, I was assisted in every way to have it all, but you can have it all in many ways if you just work out and you plan. And you've, I mean, God, I was so lucky to have
0: you at my side and you were always so calm and I was so wobbly. <laughs> wobbly, <laughs> you, is <laughs> wobbly is the word. Wobbly is the word. And we'd never worked together before. I didn't know when I signed on for the Strictly tour that I was pregnant and then I just grew and grew. Um, And then I came back with a, with effectively a newborn and drove around the country with my sterilizing kit and my <laughs> travel cart in the back. And every day when, you know, if we had a matinee day and it was two shows and I would feel so tired, um, you just used to say, I remember that, I know. And that was all I needed. Or at the end of the day, you'd say, just get in my car, I'll drive, you know, we'll drive home together. And we would just chat through the night after a long, long week, you know, i would jump in a car with you in Newcastle and sort of wake up in London. And you, you were, you know, just like you said, you had a guru. I kind of had you and you just made, you constantly reminded me of my worth at a time when I didn't really have a lot. And I will always remain hugely indebted to you for that. So thank you,
1: because people like you gave me the strength
0: to to, to be where I am now and to, you know, to own my situation.
1: Yeah, but I think likewise, you know, you helped me in my situation, mm. and I think um, I think there's a very large lack of understanding of what it's like to be in entertainment. Everybody loves you. You're heralded. Uh, you can do no wrong. You're asked to do all kinds of things that you probably know nothing about simply because you're in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly with one fell swoop, when you're removed from a certain role, it's like that. It's like they talk about people being canceled today. It's, it's, it's hard, not because you have lost that job or that, you know, you're not wanted for the job. That isn't what's hard. It's the way suddenly you have elbowed out of the way like you're nobody. Mm. And 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 you think, well, who was I? Where does it, what happened to that person? Am I still that person? Yeah. Because I'm not made to feel like I'm the same person. You I'm made to feel like Yes. And, and it takes a lot of strength to build up you supported me and fi- to find myself to find who i ha- who i am um because suddenly when everybody suddenly ignores you and it happens like in a second uh-huh. it's like oh well, who was I and where will I find I'm still that bouncy person. Um
0: And there's a lot of what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I don't yes. understand. You do found know. out that you were no longer part of the Strictly Panel from a Radio Five Live uh call, call to you in the middle of the morning, early hours of the morning, and I know you were waiting and worrying at the time because your agent of the time and longstanding friend was Paulie. So that's why you were picking up that call and that's how you found out about that decision on behalf of the BBC. And as I said in the intro, you deserved a much higher regard and, and a higher level of respect. Thank you. You really did. And then you called me and I, or I
1: called you and I was like, yeah. right, okay. What you lose is the belief in yourself. You question every Everything. little thing you've ever done, ever said. And then you start, for me, I started comparing myself Mm-hmm. Um, what did I miss out on? And then gradually you realise it—it's just a job—and you just step forward and step out of that mirror and go to the next one. And the feeling of failing is an awful feeling, oh. you know. And I spend—I spend my life trying to build confidence in mm-hmm. people. It's, I, it's just so important. It's the best thing that you can give a child. You know, it's the best thing you can give to human beings to be able to just feel confident no matter what happens is like the gift of life. It really is. It really is. And also you then came back
0: to the tour after you'd stopped doing the TV show. And I remember watching you walk into that rehearsal room and you bossed it you took none of that. I knew, I knew that inside there was a part of you that burnt with the kind of, you know, what had happened. It was, yeah, it, it does. It sort of sears slightly, doesn't it? Yeah. But you came back in and you just, you bossed it. You got your notebooks out, pulled yeah. everybody around and Arlene was back in charge and off we went again. And you were remarkable. And you taught me so much about resilience, style and class in that moment. Thank you. And then, of course, the Queen's recognised that because tell me how this went down. How did you find out that you are about to become Dame Arlene Phillips?
1: <laughs> well, in a most crazy way, um, my PA, who's been working um, on and off from home, um, said, um, I thought I'd pop over this evening just to see how you are. Should we have a catch up? And I said, Oh, that'll be nice. And um, I said, well, why not stay and have some dinner? So we sat down, had dinner, we're chatting away. After dinner, she said, oh, uh, okay, I'm going to go and I'll see you soon. And she said, oh, by the way, I've got this for you. And she just handed over a piece of paper. And the piece of paper said, you have been recognized by the Queen and are being honoured as a dame, and I, I was I was flabbergasted sitting in my kitchen. And I burst into tears and then I started laughing. There was all you know goosebumps on my arms. I could not believe it. I I really couldn't because I know it sounds silly, Kate, but somehow where I grown up, the life that I'd lived, the the difficulties of my childhood, the poverty, the hard work, the kind of getting well known for a notorious and very sexy dance group. It just didn't seem in any way that that life could be recognized for a game. And, um, I was I was astonished, amazed, and and also, it's also not just for recognition through dance. It's also, also through charity, and of course, the charity that I, the charities that I'm involved in, which I've um, been involved in for many many years, they're just part of my life. I don't think this is something that one gets honoured for, but it it's also a big part of what i've been honored for and that is the immense amount of work i do with charities mm. Which you don't, you know, you're not
0: somebody to blow your own trumpet. You never have been, Arlene. Uh, you're far too busy taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> honestly the, the dear listener, you have to understand how many notebooks Arlene travels with, right? And each one has its own project. Do you still work like that? Have yeah, I got I've got this right? three
1: in my bag ready to go after <laughs> rehearsal. They're all there, each one with their own pen.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about honours with my first question for you, because... You are now a dame, only the second choreographer ever to have been bestowed such an honour. But what do you consider to have been your greatest honour in terms of your life experience or achievements?
1: I would say probably my greatest honour was um, through a friendship I built with Andrew Lloyd Webber. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was um, a very, very early fan of hot gossip. And I'm talking the three years when hot gossip um, worked in clubs, like a club called Monkbury's, um, where another club was called Country Cousins. Where we were <laughs> constantly. Yeah. Oh, it, was, it was like the hottest club in the Kings You're Road. Joking. On the Kings Road. Yeah. Country down at the New Kings Road. Yeah. Um, in this old <laughs> barn of a place that eventually became an antiques warehouse. But um, he loved hot gossip. And we were at the time the unsuccessful hot gossip. We were hot gossip, too sexy for TV. Hot gossip that we're doing one night shows, and at the end we get a bit of cash, and I share it all out. Our costumes were lingerie because it was cheap, dyed different colours for each number. It was, you know, it was hot gossip at its earliest stage that we never thought would be a success.
0: So we're we're talking like early
1: eighties, not eight, not even eighty four. So uh, no, we're talking in the seventies. Seventies, seventies, yes, because Kenny Blimey. Everett was the first one. Uh, the Kenny Everett's, sure. was 1978. So God we're talking... Uh, yeah, so we're talking mid-70s. And Andrew and I became close friends through this love of hot gossip. Um, and then cut to 1979, and I told you when I was pregnant with mm-hmm. Alana, making a Hollywood movie in Los Angeles. And... um I told him a story about learning to roller skate, being pregnant, and the company realizing that I, you know, there I was seven months pregnant on roller skates and they had forgotten to add the extra insurance. And Christmas 1979, Andrew invited me to go to his home at Sidmonton, spend a couple of days with three-month-old baby Alana. And I told him the story about this you know crazy woman skating a (laughs) pregnant as a as a sort of a breakfast chatter story (laughs) then um cut to 1982 and Andrew who who I had remained close friends with and said to me oh do you remember that story you told me about roller skating um and uh uh, do you still roller skate? I said yeah, I can I can still skate. Why? So well, I'm going to do a new musical called Starlight Express. It's all on roller skates and I'd like you to choreograph it. And that musical that I did choreograph Starlight Express opened a whole realm of musicals for me that I have continued to choreograph. Right now I've got three lined up so you're um, incredible you don't stop it's an it's kind of an honor when a friendship was made you know probably 1976 so to have sustained that friendship and love for Andrew and for me it's an honor to be his friend
0: when you met Andrew where was he at in terms of his professional life because nowhere near quite like the Lord Lloyd Webber we know and love today
1: no. Interestingly enough, he had done Joseph, but that was a a school performance. Um, but he was about to create Cats. Um. He had it in mind. He talked about um, the book and the T.S. Eliot that it was based on, his ideas for cats. And in some way, he wanted them to be, you know, the sexy like hot gossip. And, um, mm, we had many talks. Yeah. We had many talks about, about cats. At the time I was making movies. I was, you know, I'd gone from can't stop. Um, no, hadn't gone from can't stop the music. I was working with hot gossip. And at the time hot gossip, were just about to break through on the Kenny Everett show.
0: So the Kenny Everett show to those that are um, maybe a, f- a few years younger than than us yeah. was a huge tea time entertainment show. Kenny Everett was a, such a showman and he had seen you guys and he decided to put you on. Now the show went out at six, six o'clock, 6.15 six tea thir- time.
1: It was 6.30 in the 6.30. evening.
0: 6.30. And hot gossip would come on and that was Arlene's dance shoots. You choreographed it. Yeah. But you never appeared on stage with them. And they were as he referred to in his show, The Naughty Bits, Mary Whitehouse absolutely thought you were the closest thing to the devil she'd ever seen. You were all over the front of the newspapers. You were considered to be, you know, unfit for polite society. And your career as a choreographer was born.
1: That's so true, absolutely true. It was uh, a mixed dance group and it was um, um, black mixed-raced boys and and a number of girls. And it was um, because Hot Gossip started um, with the best dancers in my class. It was people that were studying with me. I was teaching in London, I was teaching rock jazz and decided to create something with the best dancers in my class and the interesting thing was that at that time there was no work for black or mixed race dancers i mean certainly wow. not males there was one on television and one in a musical but it was really unusual and so they were the best dancers in my group so hot gossip was formed um uh oh. with boys and girls, all very sexy and sensual. Oh. And Mary Whitehouse objected. She even talked about it in the Houses of Parliament I know. trying to get it removed from TV. Uh, but they She were, got a knickers in a real twist, didn't uh, she? Knickers in a twist. And they were And
0: and and you were single mother as well, Arlene. I
1: mean, I know, that's geez. right. I was single at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and the naughty bits as they were named. By Kenny became uh, like the number one dance group on television. Changed the look of dance on television forever. It was no longer smiley girls and yeah, you know, that kind of you know guys. the side
0: specials. Yeah, yeah, the... that's no.
1: right.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't jazz hands. It was sexy lunges and people caressing and. It was sensual. It was what you had seen and experienced on in the Clubs of the King's Road. And you took that to our small screens, much to Mary's disgust. disgust I mean.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then Andrew just sort of loved all of that. He sort of giggled and sniggered along, didn't he? And just thought oh. it was all rather exciting.
1: Yes. And eventually married one of Hot Gossip, Sarah Brightman. Of who course. had our major hit? I think 10 12 weeks in the charts at number five, number six. Um, with I Lost My Hearts to a Starship Trooper, of
0: course, which was such a great record. Still yeah. a great record, still a great record. It really it is. is. It still, still makes your shoulders move, doesn't it? Yeah, it still dance to that. You and Andrew remain very close friends. I know since lockdown, it's, I mean, he has. Um, being very vocal about this and you have pledged to, to sort of, you know, follow him all the way with this. Yeah. Am I right in saying that he said he was prepared to go to prison? To get that, the theatres
1: full, uh, when promised.
0: Yeah. And that, um, and that you were prepared to follow him to prison.
1: Just the I, idea of you
0: two in a in a cell <laughs> made me chuckle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, we have lots to talk about. Um, yeah, I've no, got four no. notebooks, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Andrew is is somebody there like I need my notebooks. Andrew has got one of those minds that anything he could see a whole show with hundreds of notes and just come out afterwards and go no 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 no. Really? Every, yeah. Yeah, everyone remembered.
0: Would you have gone to prison with him?
1: Um you know I think theater has been treated very very unfairly um within um within this pandemic. And of course, you know, everyone is aware we don't want COVID to spread. No. Um, and, you know, there is, there is a thought that, you know, nobody seems to be able to, to stop this, you know, because we variants creeping in. Yeah. However, when Andrew, at the early, early stages, was experimenting um, with um, in theatres and by building in air exchangers and doors that self-sanitise to to look at every way that you can bring people together with a roof over your head and make it work just as the belief is you can have 60,000 or 100,000 in the open air and mm-hmm. And everyone's going to be okay that isn't going to cause any problems and Andrew has been looking at ways to make uh to make this happen in the theater and of course of course it's difficult and he chose not to go to jail to accept this um added extension of a form of lockdown, what you know, whatever you want to call it. We're not free yet. But again, he felt that he didn't want to be the only theater. You know, because theatre is a community. They're bonded together. They are they are whether they're As theater one. owners, yes. whether they're theater producers, there is one. So it's one for all and all for one. So when 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 we get back everyone wants to get back but i think andrews protest is the inner pain that he feels is that he has tried everything, everything. he can to make theater safe and knowing also that emotionally we need theater everybody needs to find some way of releasing the tension, the anguish, the suffering that everyone has gone through in the pandemic. And through music, through plays, through dance, through musical theater, you are, you are allowing people to release those emotions, whether they're going mm-hmm. to sit in a the theater and cry, whether they're going to laugh, whether they're just going to let the music go through to them, they're going to get up. And get out of that theatre with so much to talk about that for a moment life as it has been wouldn't exist for, yeah. for that for that moment. An in time. infusion
0: of culture almost, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But God forbid you dance or sing. You're not allowed to do that. No. Don't forget that.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, we're dancing in masks at the moment. And it isn't easy. And I it's bless really those dancers spending seven, eight hours dancing in masks and they never take them off they never disobey the rule that's been set bless them gosh they hadn't even thought of that of
0: course in your rehearsal days Mm -hmm. you're all masked aren't you
1: gosh Mm -hmm. and um two meters apart yeah just when you thought
0: you'd seen it all arlene at 78 here you go working new ways of working differently yeah Now, my next question to you is all about the right time and the right place and how that can make the world of difference to how life unfolds for you. And for you, I didn't know this about you, by the way, you were Ridley Scott's babysitter. (laughs) And that gave you an entry point into the world of, of choreography. Tell me a little bit about that, and also when else you've had, like you talked about earlier meeting Andrew those those kind of meetings where the stars align and it opens up the next chapter of your journey.
1: I think my life has built on pivoting, you yeah. know, uh, where where you you step on a little platform, before you you dance and pivot, and it changes dramatically. And one of those was, um began when I was in Manchester and I had become a dance teacher because due to uh, my mother dying when I was young, I didn't feel... You were just feel, 15, weren't you, yeah, when your mum passed? Yeah, yeah. I didn't feel I could leave home. I didn't feel it was right. My sister was 12 and my brother um left school to go out to work and... Uh, and my father wasn't well, so I knew the family had to stay together. So I eventually I studied dance in Manchester and became a teacher. And out of the blue, when I was twenty-two, um, the head of the school said to me, "I've just heard that in London this incredible um, studio has opened where you can go in, take a class, and pay for that class. And they've got teachers from America." go and do a week of classes. And then when you come back for the new term in the autumn, new, new movement, new inspiration. Off I went to London. First time in London. um, Was it? Yeah. Oh, I bet you were so excited. I was thrilled staying at the YWCA just off Tottenham Court road and going to classes every day. Um, And I'd arrived on Sunday, ready to do my classes on Monday. And, on a Friday night was my last class because I was leaving to go back on the on Saturday, and the very last class I went into was um a notice that said "Molly Malloy, American Jazz." So I went into this class, and there was the most extraordinary teacher teaching a form of jazz, but it was a cross between contemporary and classical dance the most beautiful movement I had ever seen. And I was lost and living in that class. I had fallen in love with the teacher, with the class, with everything about it. And that night, um, uh, at the end of the class, um, I sat in the little canteen having a coffee and Molly was chatting and she just turned to me and said, oh, you were just amazing in my class. I've never seen anyone pick up the style the way you did and I said I felt I was born to do this and she said um uh, are you coming back and I said no I go back to Manchester tomorrow it's you know this is uh, my job is there and she said oh but I'll give you a scholarship you know can you stay in London I said I, I, I can't I have nowhere to live no you know no money no uh, I can't I can't just leave my job and she said I know someone who's looking for someone to live in and help with babysitting, a bit of cleaning. It's a paid job and um, they're desperate for somebody. Should I, you know, do you want me to call? So I said, well, yeah, but I don't think I can just just leave. She said, well, think about it. Um, She said, you know, and you can come and stay at my flat. I've got a flat. If you can sort everything out. So I thought about it that night, and I decided that I think I had to check out around 12 o'clock in lunchtime to get my train back on Saturday. And on the Saturday morning, I called home and I said, I want to stay in London. You know, my sister had grown up now, and I just want to know how you'd feel. And they were, like, shocked and horrified. And I said, I just need to do this if I can. Then I spoke to Molly. She had spoken to Ridley Scott. And he said, yeah, I'm looking for somebody. Can you get them, like, straight away? And... I, all I knew about Ridley Scott is that he had a company directing commercials with his brother, Tony. Didn't know any more about him because at that time um, he had made one small film.
0: Yeah. I mean, Blade Runner was a, was a twinkle in his eye. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I got the job. Molly said she's going to give me a scholarship. The only thing to sort out now was my dance teacher. I called her up and I said, I know this is going to be difficult, but I want to give notice. And the money you've spent on my coming to London, I will pay you back. I'll pay every penny back. You just have to give me a chance to earn the money. And I stayed in London. It changed my life. And I did pay back the money I owed. My family did eventually understand. And because I knew how to teach... I started my own classes and while working for Ridley. But the most amazing thing was Ridley said, you dance. I've got a tiny little commercial to do for Lions made ice cream. Um, it's just three people. Well, four actually. It's a milkmaid, a farmer and a dancing cow. And <laughs> the milkmaid was Miriam Margulies, actually. I love it. Was it really? Yeah. And it was like a a hop, skip, and a jump. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it was easy to do. And because yeah. I had worked, well, it worked well with Ridley. He said to me a few weeks later, "Oh, I've got another commercial. It's for this American drink called Dr Pepper. It wasn't over here. And will are you willing to do the commercials?" I said, "Yeah." Not realising, the first one had, I think, 40 dancers at Pinewood Studios. (laughs) And the second one had the Royal Ballet at Pinewood Studios, never realising how big they were. And so I got a contract to make Dr. Pepper commercials, not just for Ridley, but to go to America and make them. So suddenly I had money, I had a life, and it's all that little pivot you know, the chances I took... is extraordinary? ...stay yeah. in London and take the job for Ridley. If you peel it all
0: back, it's really the dance teacher in Manchester that, that started
1: that, that kind of domino effect of where your life went on to. Totally. You know, and that's something I hadn't always thought about. If she hadn't sent me to London mm. that very week, and that was the yeah. first week Molly had only started her classes the Monday I arrived, but I didn't even know when I went in the dance center because there were classes everywhere, that yeah. um, she was teaching until I saw that little notice the yeah. night before I left. And I do believe in that kind of umbrella, that there's something there that just tells you go in that direction, you know, yeah. which way yeah. is the right direction, where's the fork in the road, Yeah, you can choose the right fork. What a story, Arlene. What a story. And you don't know these things are going to happen. No. But over and over again, you know, me <laughs> telling Andrew the roller skating story. I mean, yeah, that was Express. three years before he called me up.
0: Wow. Oh, I could talk about this forever. I wanted to just do some quick reactions with you. I want to talk about some of the videos that you choreographed because they are so iconic. <laughs> they are so iconic and they live on to this day. Um, and so I'm going to shout out, and I'm going to shout at you because I love you too much to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say the name of the, of the video and the artist and just first things that come to mind. Okay. Okay, let's start with Elton John. I'm still standing.
1: I'm still standing. Firstly, I use that as a signature to my own life. But secondly, Mm. (laughs) um, the the video that everybody knows with the painted dancers came about by accident because the film was supposed to be about Elton John driving through the south of France in an open top car, coming down a mountain onto the (laughs) Croisette when we found out that Elton was not allowed to travel in an open-topped car coming down the mountain for health and safety reasons. So it was quick thinking. I had a friend who no. had a massive dance school south of France. I said, send me all your dancers. Uh, the director said, let's get them body painted. And everything was choreographed on the spot. You know, it was like pouring out instant soup, right, right. Oh, we've got this hotel. Let's come down the stairs. Oh, we've got the Croisette, Let's dance along it. Oh, we've got and and so it was it was kind of thrown together. Thrown together. No choreograph, do it. Choreograph, do it. You said you you
0: you sent out for some local dancers. Yes, I love that. Like like a, like a delivery. <laughs> How did Bruno Tonioli end up in the mix? Because he's one of the dancers in the video.
1: He is indeed, and he was supposed to be sitting. In the back of the car um, Uh, when Elton drove down the mountainside. Instead, we played around Bruno here, Bruno there. Just use Bruno.
0: Well, you know, he's ever so shy.
1: Of course he (laughs) is. Hates taking his clothes off. Hates Hates the body being seen. Yeah. Okay, next
0: video. Tina Turner, private dancer.
1: Our private dancer was made in a ballroom that was about to close, the Rivoli ballroom, because there was asbestos in the roof. And we were there the final day before it closed. And, you know, it was a dump. It was an absolute dump. And so we really didn't have dressing rooms. Tina had a space, but she sat on a box in the big, big, beautiful sort of old ballroom and she chatted with everyone she was absolutely wonderful it's one of the videos i love the most and i love it not just because we heard so many tina life stories but because she was so involved so committed um and wonderful to work with and i had the best dancers the best dancers yeah. ever
0: I love that. That video was made in a really, at the time, quite shabby sort of armpit yeah. of southeast London. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that ballroom is literally ten minutes from where I'm talking to you today. Oh wow. And it has been beautifully restored, and yeah. it's it's well worth a revisit just for the memories alone. Yes. Um, the next one I want to pick up with you, Whitney. I want to dance with somebody.
1: Oh my gosh, working with Whitney was an absolute joy i first worked with her on what was to be her second video um that she'd ever made called how will i know and she was mm. very shy it was early whitney and was that when she had the hair up
0: and she did a lot of this and she just looked kind of like a yeah. big rabbit in headlights yeah yeah yeah, yeah yes, yeah. yes.
1: And also, but beautiful smile. Oh my God. And perfect, perfect lip sync. I've never seen anyone lip sync. You thought the voice was coming out of her and actually not a sound. Now you've Um, said that. I'm like, Oh, you've ruined it. I really (laughs) did believe it. Yeah. (laughs) Um. And she hated, she hated her feet. She had very long, very slim feet that she felt were really large. And she didn't want, Ever for her feet to be seen kind of sideways. She always wanted them front on. So I was trying to trying to create paths for her where she could walk through toward the camera. Um, but she was really shy um and you know, came out, did as she was told, sang brilliantly, and then went back into her Winnebago Um, sweet, worked really, really hard, cut to New York, going to make I want to dance with somebody. And there was this bubbly, bright Whitney who wasn't Mm. afraid to dance, who wanted to join in, who, again, sat, chatted to the dancers, had the best fun in the world. And she was absolutely adorable. And there was one step that her manager thought, "Mm, I'm not really keen on that. And she said, I want to do it. It was a whole tutting little section. I want to do it. And it was just like, yes, Whitney. He thought it didn't suit her. Was it like watching a flower
0: blossom, watching her kind of find her voice, find her feet?
1: It was watching her believe in herself. Mm. It's really interesting. I don't think um, anyone realized that she really didn't have a lot of confidence at the beginning. And then her confidence grew And with, with that, her warmth and her, her reaching out and allowing people to love her and to love was such a, such a, a momentous thing. And to be able to sort of share that, to have seen one side of her and then see her grow was so beautiful. And we had such fun. Looked like two of the best days of my life.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you said that because those videos still, they still stand up as of their, I mean, brilliant of their time, but they still stand up brilliant as brilliantly of these times as well. Um, in terms of somebody who was already a grown-up artist by the time you came to work with them, Diana Ross, Chain Reaction, that brilliant Bee Gees composition.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, it was quite awkward working with her in the beginning. She was... Um, Miss Ross to yeah. everyone except for the director and I, who he just said, um, darling Diana. Um, I, I just have to say that, um, Arlene, Arlene and I will have no time to call you Miss Ross. I mean, why use two words when one is quicker? So we'll call you Diana, <laughs> and I just thought it was brilliant. And she just laughed, you know, um, and it was. Getting her to, to do stuff, and trust me, took its time. But by mid-afternoon, we were on a roll, and she was ready to do anything with the dancers. I think, really? Yeah, I think it was trying, trying to build her confidence and her confidence in movement. We had some fabulous dancers. Um, and, and for her, it was building up that she could do everything and she became the best fun. I mean, that video. I don't think we finished till something like four a.m. the next morning because she was only Blimey. here, you know, for like the 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 day. And we just went on and on into the night. And it was freezing cold. And she brought her a limo round so all the dancers and her could pile in and have the heat on. And it was Keep so warm. sweet. Yeah. Really I love, sweet. I love
0: that central heating Diana Ross style. Yes, limos. Yeah,
1: <laughs> in the limo. Yeah. Um. Okay.
0: Wild boys, Duran Duran.
1: Oh, Wild Boys was possibly my favourite video of all time that really? I ever made. Yes, because it was the only one we got a proper rehearsal for. <laughs> it was made in l Street. It was. I had these wonderful wonderful dancers working with me. I could really create it it was it was a force. And even though, you know, the dance pieces were intermittent, those dancers were throwing themselves into it. And connecting with those rhythms that, that everybody knows. The rhythm. Yeah. You can't, you can't say Boy. the name of
0: that song and it not go. Doof, 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 doof. Yeah, you just get yeah. those drum beats in your yeah. head. You can't help it. Yeah. But also what it did was it elevated the band's performance and you know, suddenly it enabled them to dress. I mean, they were the new romantics who'd who'd kind of, you know, defined their own style from the get-go. But you moved it on and it, it felt like we were watching a movie. And at that time, I think people forget that the music video was still a relatively new phenomenon. And there were people that just smashed it and took it to the next stage. And all of the videos that we've talked about would qualify under that, but most definitely Wild Boys.
1: Yes, I think so. And I think the interesting thing about it is that um I was making some of the very first videos at MTV. And when I say we were making it up, we really were. We were (laughs) we were just like going, Oh, we could do this or we could do that. And sometimes the bands were involved um and wanted to know prior to making the video, every step of the way, what what they want to do. And other times, like Elton, I'll turn up and tell me what I'm doing. And Freddie Mercury, who I just have to mention, every yes. video I made with him, I was born to love you. It's kind of magic. The 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 thought and depth and love that he put into every one of those videos, um, I will always rem- remember the joy of working with him.
0: What was it like working with Freddie? Because, I mean, if you're going to look up the dictionary definition of showman, surely he has to be there.
1: He is the showman. And in every way, what I love about him is his kindness, his love of the work he does, his visual uh, imagination. He's a true entertainer and everything with Freddie was extravagant. And if it wasn't extravagant, it wasn't worth it.
0: It wasn't happening.
1: But you know what? He'd put
0: all of that show on and and it, and it was an incredible show. And every audience that he performed in front of, he just, they, they just went with him. It was a, He was a Pied Piper in so many ways, wasn't he? I think
1: it's a perfect way of describing him as a Pied Piper. The other thing that Freddie had is he made every one of those 100,000, 150,000, it doesn't matter how many people were at his live concerts. I mean, he made everyone think that he was performing just for them. Yeah. They were the person in the crowd. It didn't matter where they were sitting. Freddie's heart reached far and wide. And to work alongside such greatness, Arlene, must have
0: been just phenomenal for you and for them. Because, um, you know, it's, it's when great talent aligns that brilliant, brilliant projects, um, come out of that and live on forever. And these are real diamonds that we're talking about. They've been preserved in our pop history vaults and you were there every step, literally off the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, before I let you go, one quick thing.
1: How are your granddaughters? <gasps> Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. (laughs) I knew you'd melt. I knew you'd melt. You love it, don't you? I love, love, love those little girls. I love what they brought into my life. I absolutely never realized just quite what grandchildren meant. And I know that I want to be the grandmother that I know my own mother would have been. Oh. and it's just wrap your arms around them give them love crawl on the floor do whatever they ask be the the, the grandmother that they will always be able to turn to
0: but you do everything Alana says you can't
1: <laughs> ha, no i and actually sort of quite um i'm actually quite good um at not spoiling them other than with myself i spoil them Are with you? me yeah yeah gosh i don't you know my I grew up poor. Therefore, I felt like my girls have to have everything that I never had. They never had to want. I I, I was determined that they that they never felt the person that was kind of left out or couldn't mm. belong to a club because you couldn't buy Quality Street or whatever. Your parents couldn't get your Quality Street and you could only be in that club if you shared your Quality Street. Um all those things, you know, the fact never, I always had old shoes, you know, I never got brand new, sparkling black patent shoes. I, I, I so, or got the chance to have all the dance lessons I wanted. Everything was a fight and a struggle. I yeah. vowed for my children that, you know, they wouldn't go through that. But actually, I, in the end, have come to the conclusion that it does you no harm.
0: We all need a little
1: bit of fight in us. We all need to understand money doesn't grow on trees. And uh, and so I want my, I want for my grandchildren, they know that grandma loves them. Yes, I do get them things, but I haven't been, you know, I don't lavish things on them at all. They don't, they don't, they don't need it. Sometimes you've
0: got to be hungry. Yeah. you got to, it, it, it gives you a, a fire in your belly for yes. sure. <laughs> Now, um, Greece is reopening and going around the UK. Um, Tickets are available from Ticketmaster and all other outlets that you would go and find um, tickets for shows like that. Please go and support the arts. It's so important. These guys have been gagging to get back on stage and give you a show. And Arlene, Dame Arlene Phillips, thank you.
1: Thank you, Kate. It's been so wonderful to talk to you this morning. Very uplifting, very uplifting. Go and give your dancers my very best.
0: Um, I miss being in a dance studio with you. Yeah. I really do. It's
1: it's quite a thing to watch. Well, you never know what the future will bring.
0: Oh, yay. Yeah. Damn, now you're talking. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much for listening today. Remember, uh, Arlene's brand new show, Grease, uh, is out on touring the uk with many other shows returning to our theaters for the first time in a couple of years now as always white wine question time is produced by me kate Fonton with libby knowles and richard Hatherall for yahoo uk our music is provided by andy bell we'll be back next week with more great guests and chat until then take care out there